everyone to the Rest Podcast, where our goal is to help each and every one of you displace confusion, chaos, and dis-ease in order to heal and find significance in life. I am your host, Natalie Williams, and I am here with the author of The Reconstitution Method for Healing and Rest, Virginia Dixon. Thank you for making it today under strenuous circumstances. I know. So what a lot of people don't know yet is that we are moving offices officially only like five minutes away, though, guys. So don't worry. We're not driving like 20 minutes out of the way. So we're excited about it. But we will update you on the address as soon as it is officially completed. But today we have a very special guest who actually came to us on a day of rest where a lot of I mean, Amazing things yep. happen. It, it's an amazing day. But Steve Kogan, he has a master's in education and epidemiology and is a teacher of biology and, of course, husband to Angela Goldstein, who was on the podcast a few episodes yeah, ago. Dr. Goldstein. Yes. Yes. Hello. How are you? Doing Hi, well. Thank you so nice much for joining us. I can't tell you how unusual today is. And I'm, I receive it as a blessing, even though we almost gave Natalie a heart attack. <laughs> but I do, okay. I, yeah, I do receive it as a blessing. It's unusual to have the group we had at our last day of rest. There's no two days of rest that are the same. No. But last week was exceptional. Exceptionally unusual, I should say. <laughs> and... I'd like our listening audience to hear your feedback, and I'll tell you why before I put you on the spot. (laughs) So I'll give you a little context. You know, I'm an immigrant. I know your wife's an immigrant, and you're Jewish as well, and your ancestors were obviously immigrants immigrants here. And we've been, we began this conversation in July Mm -hmm. about liberty and freedom and the consequence of ideas the following week. And then we talked about the application of those ideas as it pertains specifically to cancer. There's so much cancer and the numbers aren't going down, they're going up. And I thought it was a tangible way to see how ideas, principles, things that we, I think, are flippant about and the consequence they can have on our physiology, on our anatomy. You're married to a doctor, so you know yeah. exactly what I'm mm-hmm. talking about, mm-hmm. right? I think so. Yeah. During the day of rest, I touched on those things a little bit. And I know you have a lot of thoughts. You have you had a lot of comments after the day of rest. So I want our listening audience to hear. But today, I want to continue the conversation about the consequence of ideas and why it's so important and what the consequence of those ideas look like applied. I know you're an educator now. Right. 26 years. 26 year educator. And I I just want our listening audience to get a sense of who you are, a sense of the day of rest and your experience, and a sense of what you see as an educator in the context of this discussion we've been having this month about ideas, about liberty, freedom, ideas, and what the classroom looks like today. I know that's a lot. But this is our last week, and I guess I'm trying to cram everything in. <laughs> well, no, we still have Catherine Vance next week. We actually were off a little bit because right. there are five weeks in this month instead of just four. Oh, good. So we're fine. <laughs> yeah, because I did, our guest that's coming next week is the consequence of these ideas played out in a life of a now 32-year-old woman. Yeah. And Steve, you are 
an alumni, a graduate of A Day of Rest. And I was so compelled by your background, mm-hmm. by your the depth of your understanding mm-hmm. of the principles I discussed, mm-hmm. and something that's very near and dear to my heart, which is education. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Start with a day of rest. <laughs> First of all, I have to say that I, I, it was really very, very enjoyable being here at your wonderful villa for your day of rest on Saturday, a few days back. It's a headquarters. It, it was, it was it's beautiful, a beautiful show. setting here in Santiago, Santiago Canyon. Is that mm-hmm. what it you gave me at the end of that day, one of the things I thought was, I already have a big responsibility as it is as an educator at the high school level, as it is. And now I feel like there's another level to this. You know, I need to think about what the kids are bringing into the classroom what are they coming into that room with? I mean, what, what emotional trauma are they walking into that classroom with? And that's, there's not a lot of time to be realistic, you know, to do that. But I, but I, now I have in the back of my mind, these tools, sort of at least some, some thoughts about, you know, the kids come into the room and what's happening at home. Could there be generations of trauma in families? Are there certain questions I can ask kids? They, I, I try to get them one-on-one. You know, I'm teaching science. Biology is mainly what, I, mainly what I do, and it's mostly about the information. Most of my colleagues are all about the information. What are we teaching them today? I actually really want to get to know the kids and really get to understand them and get to establish that rapport because I think... You can teach anything. It's really more about the rapport you have with the well, kids. Well, you want to transform through yeah, education, not just through, teach them, right? Yeah, education yeah. Has, has a lot more to it than just the subject of what you're teaching. That's right. It's absolutely. transformative in that sense because you really, you, you have to know what they're walking in that room with. What are they bringing in with them? What, and, and it's so many things. I have so many stories. <laughs> right. In the context of what you heard on Saturday, which is really foundations, right? An overview. What seed of an idea, because we talk about many ideas mm-hmm. during the course of a day of rest. Yeah. We build on ideas. Right. Which was the seed of what idea that you walked away with it and you thought, wow, that's really compelling? Was it the spheres of influence, the structures of authority, the anatomy of descent, the lies that derail the our lies. lives? Mm-hmm. It was really the, the lie piece. When you brought that up, I said, wow, you can see how in a family there are certain lies that get protected. And, and passed they, on, and they, right? And then when they, those lies get protected, the next generation has to has has been raised to protect that lie, in mm-hmm. a sense, until the those children get old enough, or evolved enough, or grow enough emotionally, establish that emotional intelligence to know that there's something wrong here. Mm-hmm. I can feel there's an, there's a lie in the family, and it's being protected by a passive father and you know, a controlling mother who's really instigating it. You know, so I, that was powerful to me to hear that because it makes perfect sense. I've been thinking that all my life. I never fit in with my family. I felt like I was like I don't get these people. I love what you said. What you said is really compelling because the anatomy of those lies really. I mean, the constitution of those lies that continue to perpetuate, right, generationally, Mm -hmm. I have found become the anatomy of disease. Mm -hmm. And you have a story. When I made that connection, you said, Virginia, wow, I just realized. Tell us about your dad and you and what you deal with. You made the connection (laughs) immediately. Yeah, yeah. On the surface, I I have good people who raised me. They meant well. They took us on vacations. They was well. I was taken care of. We we they were educators. We had a good home, but there was something missing for me. They were not emotionally available people. Both my parents. 
last 10, 15 years going through the work I went through to become a life coach specializing in ADHD. I did some growth work there. I learned, I, I started looking at that. What is wrong with the, my family of origin? What, what's, how has it affected me? Um, and it, it really has manifested in, in, for me, in my inability to maintain certain boundaries between my married family and my personal family. My, my, my Angela, my Angela Goldstein, you've talked to her before. She's a doctor. She's my wife. She's amazing woman. And she's helped me really see that I was not realizing I was still under the control dynamics of my family of origin, that I was really, really doing all kinds of things to protect the feelings of my parents. I was protecting them, mostly my mother, to the detriment of my marriage. It was, it was affecting our marriage, the balance of things. I wasn't defending my wife. I wasn't out there, you know, maintaining boundaries that we established as a married couple, as a, as a family. Yeah, and the boundaries for you. I always remind people, hey, the boundaries for you, not another person. Mm-hmm. You can't control them. Mm-hmm. But it was the anatomy of some ailments you'd experienced and how you connected it to a family system with dad. Oh, my, yeah. Well, yeah when that so, light went off for, for you, it was captivating. I thought, right. there you go. Well, yeah, so what you're talking about, as I brought up at your rest retreat, I'm an amputee. Uh, as a child, I had a bone tumor, osteoblastoma, osteomyelitis in my right leg, my femur. It was normal before I was seven. Then all of a sudden I had this disease that came out of nowhere. And Kaiser misdiagnosed me and then didn't go to second grade. It was at home, either in the hospital or at home for a whole year. Uh, it was pretty traumatic for, for a child to go through that. I survived it. I survived it. But I had discovered that my father had a disease called Lake Perthes disease in the, back in would have been early 50s because he was born, mm-hmm. maybe, no, actually might have been late 40s. He was born in 46. And I think it was, he was born in Detroit. They moved to Los Angeles around, he was three or three years old. I think when he fr- they first got to Los Angeles is when they discovered his bone was deteriorating in his right leg. How old was he? He might have been about three, I think he said, mm-hmm. in his right leg. And then what they do is they put braces on your legs, like metal braces exterior mm-hmm. to the leg to help wait but for the bone to regrow tell everybody which back. leg it was. It was in the same leg that I lost, the right That's leg. Right. So, you know, I look at that, there's got to be a genetic basis maybe, there's, but there's, it could be any other thing. I, I've always wondered if there was... You know, because now I'm being married to a, to a naturopathic doctor and looking at things really root from a more cause. natural yeah. root cause approach, which our healthcare system is not doing, that there got to be, had to be some kind of exposure that maybe I, I was exposed mm-hmm. to something in the environment where I grew up. And that's Nobody not knows. even dealing with the emotional constitution of these things, because right. we always talk about the network between the spirit, the soul and the manifestation of the mm-hmm. body. But the expression on your face when we were we got mm-hmm. deep into this subject mm-hmm. on Saturday mm-hmm. was just mm-hmm. it was priceless. And that's exciting because these conflicts, these secrets, these hidden mm. things, these unresolved challenges, right? They can end with you. I intended to. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It will end with you. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're all about. So that was fantastic. Tell us a little bit. Let's jump a little bit. So the the takeaway was the three lies. The I want, I need, each, I deserve. I deserve right? Yeah, loss of the eyes, loss of the flesh, flesh and, and the, the pride of, of life. life. Mm-hmm. Those are the three things that will derail your life. And of course, you and I are both people of faith. You're Jewish. Mm-hmm, I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But we know that we are told a little bit about the anatomy of our descent and the origin of those three lies. Did God really say? Do what you want. Nothing's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And then be a master of your own destiny. He doesn't want you to be like him. And those are the the lies specifically 
that feed the I want, I need, I deserve. Mm-hmm. And it was really captivating to have that conversation with you and the group that we had, especially when you began to connect it to family patterns. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Very much. It's, so it's fascinating. We're about education here. We're about inviting people to this place so they can reason. There's a lot of things that are happening to this generation. There's an erosion of, first of all, the lies, the confusion, the chaos, the disease, Mm -hmm. and the lies at the root of it all are devastating. It's a cancer that is impacting the heart of an entire generation and it's leaving people like us at times speechless, wondering what is happening. This avalanche is upon us, and how the heck did we get here? As a specialist in ADHD, <clears throat> as a high school educator, yeah, absolutely. as a life coach, the reason I want you to talk a little bit about what's happening in the classroom, oh, yeah. because these are human beings. Mm-hmm. With families of your own. You just briefly talked about your family. But when we opened the podcast, you said, the thing that captivated me is that I felt this increased sense of responsibility that I need to know and to care and to understand more quickly what the kids are walking in with. And that's captivating. What do you see? You just came in and you said, I realized that one of the things I left with a day of rest with was I need a deeper understanding of what these kids are walking into my classroom Mm -hmm. with. Right. And I'm excited that you personally came and experienced a day of rest. And that confirmed why you need to know a little bit more about what they're walking in the classroom with, Mm -hmm. because the ideas have deep roots and things Mm -hmm. that if you are not fully present and engaged, you don't understand. So it's difficult to educate this generation. I, I'd say it's almost impossible if you're not willing to engage in relationship with them. I think and understand a, the connection yeah, yeah, yeah. of these things. Did that yeah. make sense? I think it's yeah. effective education because you. I mean, I went through this in in high school. I would have teachers that were all about the information. They'd give you the information. And you're like, okay, great. You learn it. You regurgitate it on a test. You move on. You forget it. Right. It was the teachers that actually connected with me, who learned about me, who knew about what was going on in my life. Mm-hmm. That those classes I always absorbed, and I still know that information. To this day, because there, there was a connection there. And now I think it's imperative. Yeah. I was surprised that that was your takeaway. And you did say it that day. I'm happy it was the takeaway yeah. because we it need more a, teachers yeah. like that. Thank we need you. teachers Thank that you. say, hey, this is bigger than education. So, so well, what are your thoughts let me, about Yeah, that? so I'm thinking uh, there's a bigger thing here behind a lot. I mean... I feel like the kids are coming into the classroom and I feel this need to know them because the parents are not doing their jobs. It's, right. it's, and, and it's a lot of, why are parents not doing their jobs? Why, did they, why aren't they modeling? Why aren't they creating boundaries? Why aren't they creating systems in the home so the kids can be successful? Why are they not doing these things? And, and it's beyond the scope of my time to be able to help every single family of a kid who walks in my classroom. But I know that they need it. Otherwise, I would not have started developing this coaching practice, which I'll share with you more about. But I think the bigger picture is that things have eroded in society in a sense that we 
are not taking responsibility for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Where it's right. okay, think about this. I just it dawned on me as I was driving here. We want uh, our doctor to do, decide for us how we should be healthy. We want our insurance to pay for things so we don't have to think about the money involved. We want doctor just give us a pill to solve our problem. We don't want to take responsibility for anything for our own self. We've be, they've, indoctrinated so they've indoctrinated lab rats. Indoctr- lab rats. Yes, we've been indoctrinated the kind of thinking that somebody else will take care of us, Group which is unrealistic. Yeah. And so parents also all are now. Additionally, not really taking responsibility for the kids' education. They're not involved. So they come back to school night. They hear me talk, and I make it fun. I basically plant questions. No, nobody ever asked me questions at back to school night. <laughs> so I literally have little 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 post-it things, notes. I, huh. I literally pass them out around the room with questions, and I say, okay, who has question number one? And I make them ask me questions because they won't do it otherwise. So it's it just to get it engaging. To but then that's the last time I see half these parents ever. I never see them again. But. I figured out that because of where we are at in society, because the parents never really developed these, this secure attachment with their kids, they never developed it, they're working all the time in Orange County, that's all they're doing, they're not home, they're not there. And because of that, we need to have extensions of public education like what I decided to do you know, 10 years ago was to develop a, a life coaching practice specializing in ADHD because a lot of the kids I have have that focus issue, right? Like they come into the classroom, they can't focus because they have emotional trauma. Or that's a big one. I think it's a really big, that's probably the biggest one. The biggest trigger of why they are afraid to be at school or they come into the classroom not thinking they can learn because it's a cycle. They, they have this fear. It's triggered by a variety of different things, things, dynamics at home, language parents use about their their ability to be successful, emotional trauma not resolved in the family, whatever it might be. But yeah. they come in with that fear, and that leads to like a whole vicious cycle of them having a, a narrow, fixed mindset about what they're capable of doing mm-hmm. in that classroom. And the anatomy of fear, we talk about this quite a bit, is a violation of conscience. Somewhere, somehow, something... <laughs> A violation of conscience that leads people to cover, hide, and blame. And that is the anatomy of mm-hmm, fear. It's mm-hmm. an enormous amount of anxiety yeah. because there's pain mm-hmm. and anger right. behind fear. Right. And then I think so, all that leads to escape. Like you said, hide was a feature of your right. model. Mm-hmm. And so then there, there's a fear. There was there, there was another book I read. He had he called it FACE, F-A-S-E. I forgot the author. But fear leads to this, leads to this, and then leads to escape. And then the kid escapes. And they don't, then they stop coming to school. Because they're afraid of being in the classroom. They and think- connecting with people, with themselves, with each other, and with institutions. You're right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so funny. You, you're we're talking about diagnosis. I've, I always say, right, a word nobody likes to use, but it's mm-hmm. sin. And a mm. sin is when we violate our own conscience and there's a conflict within ourselves, whether it's yours or of your child or it's been passed on to them. Right. The, the treatment <clears throat> is turn a complete intentional desire and intention to mm-hmm. completely turn the other way. A right? 180. Repentance, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And the cure is freedom. But to have freedom, you need to understand the function of liberty, which is to not violate your own conscience. So the whole conventional model of diagnose, treatment, and cure, I frankly think it's time to expand our observations beyond the diagnosis, the treatment, and the cure. And our vocabulary. Mm-hmm. And our vocabulary. That's right. So listening to you speak makes me think, oh, wait. I've been saying it for so many years, I don't say it anymore. I don't think anybody <laughs> cares. But it is. I think we need to look beyond the diagnosis, the treatment, and the cure. Because above all else, guard your heart. Out of the heart flow all the issues of life. 
And I've yet to find breakdowns in systems where there isn't a broken heart and a shattered soul, whether from conflicts of right. commission or omission or things that have been passed down to us. But what you're suggesting is us, we can't look at diagnosis in the traditional way that medicine is pigeonist. We can only look at one one disease has one cure, has one, and that's how I'm reading a book about that. We, we were so conditioned to think that one problem has one cure. But no, there's a multitude of factors that contribute. Emotional is one big, very big piece of it. That's right. And we need to speak freely about these things because I think healing is going to come from everybody rolling up their sleeves Mm -hmm. and engaging in the conversation. I got to add your elements into this too now. I know I've met a whole nother level. I've got to look at this. When I I get parents, I didn't tell you about my coaching practice. I'll tell you briefly. What I do is I have parents contact me typically if they hear about what my, my work and they have me, they say, okay, I have a son who has ADHD. Can you fix him? That's ultimately what the, usually it's mom calling me. But ultimately, I say it's not going to just be me fixing them. They have to be wanting to. Do, they have to want to to do some work. They have to want to be coached. Can't twist their arm, and the, and it's not just for the kid. It's it's a parent. The parent, the parent has to be part of the equation. This, this, this involves working with the whole family. So I say, look, there is usually some trigger that gets their the child's brain off balance, either, either overstimulated or they're understimulated. They're overstimulated, they're bouncing off the walls, they're, they can't regulate their thinking. If they're understimulated, they're not motivated in the classroom, they, have, they, they need the motivation. So there's two extremes here that yeah. I'm looking at, strategies for each one. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and, why, and then the, the teachers and parents often miss understand this problem ADHD because they see their kid, oh, my kid is misbehaving at school. The teachers say, my kid, the kid is a discipline problem. They're not a discipline problem. They just, they're, they're, something triggered them either before they got to school or, and that caused them to behave the way they did. The behavior is a response to their brain being out of balance. So now they need strategies to get their brain back in balance. If that's the my model. And that's, my, that's the model I came up with. I so, love that. So the, working with the parents, here's what the, what the parents need to know, if those of you listening, is very, very wise. One of the most successful pieces I've developed is coming up with a basically a written contract, in a sense, that states what are the overarching goals that the child and the parents can agree on in the, in, in the home? What are, what are some of the action steps that we're going to put on paper that will help achieve those goals in it for academic or other things that they need to do. And then what are the rewards associated with those action steps? What are some consequences if we're not meeting our action steps and then everybody signs the agreement. So it's a written contract and it makes it less personal. Yeah. Makes it an agreement. And you find that that's been very successful. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, when you brought up, the whole brain balance issue that's very near and dear to my heart my background is in neuroscience mm-hmm. i graduated from uci mm-hmm. and i, I wanted to too, say you did too i went to uci as well oh, that's for awesome biology. Yeah. Oh, that's great <laughs> we were very close i was in neuroscience yeah. on my contract i actually have a part of it that says what are the brain balancing strategies you're going to employ i saw mm-hmm. that's separate from the steps and i have too. i have one word for brain balancing strategies Saraset Technologies. I've heard about it. Did you hear about it? I've heard about it. My wife told me about it. It is unbelievable. I invested in the franchise and I've been involved with Brain State Technologies. Originally it was Brain State Technologies for almost maybe 10 years now. Yeah, it's been probably about 10 years. And we opened one of the first franchises here in Southern California and it is phenomenal. 
Angela went through the program. Yeah. But that's a good resource that people yeah. can use. Absolutely. And we're, I think there's 50 franchises nationally. It's transformational. But I really respect the fact that you don't reach for a psychiatrist. <laughs> right now. And that you don't reach for medication because that isn't the root cause Mm -mm. that isn't Mm going to solve the problem. It might alleviate the symptoms, but Mm -hmm. it's not going to solve the problems. Mm -hmm. So the relational, emotional, and even spiritual, we talked about that a little bit connection that you make. I know you have limitations with that a little bit, the spiritual component in schools, Mm -hmm. but still the relational component is significant to facilitate healing. So that's fantastic. We have to have you back. I'm glad I have the time. In the summertime, I'm a little more open on time. Teaching starts on August 17th, but I'm glad I could be here now, and yeah. we'll do it in the future again. Absolutely. I like that. This podcast is about giving people hope mm-hmm. so they can experience freedom. Mm-hmm. And we're about the truth. So before we discuss topics, we're sh- we try to do our due diligence and make sure that the things we're discussing have merit mm-hmm. as an epidemiologist and a biologist for you to finish this podcast with something that's near and dear to your heart about how did we get here? You walked in with a book from Robert F. Kennedy Jr., a Democrat. It's a New York bestseller. Yes. And it's about the global war on democracy and public Mm -hmm, health. mm Mm-hmm. Why don't you tell me the evolution of how we got here, that we were so swift to medicate so many things instead of strengthening immune systems, looking at the epidemiology of disease? There's a lot. There's a many lot. Lenses, I, right? There's so many things I could talk about in the book that just opened my eyes to how we how the public has been lied to. One of the things that really was amazing as far as how medical education changed in this country, I was amazed that originally we were teaching a holistic approach. My wife is a naturopathic doctor. Originally, that's how all medical schools were teaching medicine. Boosting the immune system. Boost the immune system. Boost the constitution of your body, which is focus on nutrition, focus on clean water, focus on these kinds of things. And then it shifted to focusing on, once they published in 1910, Rockefeller Foundation funded this uh, report of medical schools, and they said, what's the state of all the medical schools? And they looked at how they were teaching, and they decided because of Robert Koch and Louis Pasteur, all these people that were coming up with a model that one germ is what's causing one disease, when that caught on, all the medical schools shifted over to treating disease with one cause, and, and the cause was solving solve it with one drug, or one one bacteria causes a problem, let's find a, salt, find a way to kill that bacteria. Once we shifted right. to that, we, the whole medical system shifted that forward, and big pharma took off. Yeah, and we might add that they funded the medical schools, and they funded the evolution of big pharma. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's a lot. So it's the economy of health, right? That we'll probably discuss. But you're an expert. This is Mm. like your line of expertise. So we need to have you back. Especially, especially because we're told that there's all kinds of epidemics that are forthcoming. So we want to talk about wellness, root cause, and healing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Before we close, I do want to ask you, where can our audience find you if they do want to look into your coaching program? My wife and I share a website. She's a naturopathic doctor. I do my life coaching work. Go to ndnaturalpath.com and you'll find out more information about our practice and my coaching work is all explained on there. Awesome. Perfect. Thank Thank you you so much. Thanks for having me. And Natalie, I'm glad you asked because we want to displace confusion, chaos, and disease so people can live with greater measures of 
freedom. And to do that, we need to reason, we need to discuss, we need to think deeply about some of these things. Thank you so much, Steve. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. BrainState Technologies, or Saraset, is a non-invasive neurotechnology that Virginia commonly refers her clients to. If you would like more information about Saraset, please call the Saraset Irvine office at 949-407-9020, or if you are listening from outside our area, please visit saraset.com for a location near you. For updates about rest and this podcast, please visit our Instagram or Facebook, The Place of Rest. If you'd like more information about Virginia or to support and join the cause of rest, please go to virginiadixon.com forward slash collaborate or call 949-289-5935. Thank you for listening to Rest with Virginia Dixon. We'll see you next Friday. Mm-hmm.